Welcome to Lemmy Works, brought to you by Leadership Education Mentoring Institute. We are inspiring parents, mentors, and communities as they embark on the journey of transformational project-based education. Hi, this is Tatiana Fallon. Hi, this is Heidi Christensen. We're so excited to be your hosts. Hi everyone, today I am in a Quest class and I have some amazing scholars with us that are going to be talking about the coddling of the American mind. And we are first going to let them just introduce themselves by their first name so you guys can kind of tell who's talking when. Hi, my name is Tommy. Hi, my name is John. My name is Eliza. My name is Will. My name is Owen. My name is Elena. My name is Madison. My name is Claire. My name is Jacob. My name is Anders. And my name is Liz. And I am Heidi, as you guys all know. So we're going to start off this discussion talking about the three great untruths that they talk about in the, the book. And those are what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Always trust your feelings. And life is a battle between good people and evil people. So let's start with the first one. What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. What do you guys think about that? Um, I think it's true. You think it's true? <laughs> I mean, we can obviously think of things like disabilities that hinder people's abilities to do things, but they're not necessarily dead. Well, they clarify that in the book. They say, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker is an untruth. However, there are instances where you can get seriously hurt and like not die, but be forever changed. That will weaken you. Yeah, I don't think it's talking about the physical, like, it's aspect. more talking about, yeah, not the physical aspect, more the mental aspect. After, it can be from physical experiences, but it's like the mental afterwards. So if you rule out the times when it really does have that physical effect on you, how is this an untruth? Well, if you look at, you know, popular people today uh, and popular role models for some people, you think about Kobe Bryant, there's this guy named David Goggins, all of them went and pushed themselves through difficult things, hard things, all to increase their mental fortitude. So that and their discipline so that when they wake up in the morning and their body is telling them no oh it's a little cold outside i don't want to do that today they have the mental fortitude to say no i need to persist that's why i think thing going through hard times and things that don't kill you will will make you stronger because in the end you will have had that experience and as long as you don't let it to cripple you then you can have more mental fortitude going forward yeah, well, and I think we have to go past even just that instant. Like sometimes with physical things, even um, when you work out a muscle, it rips. And for a time, it is sore. So it does make you weaker. But after it's sore, it grows back stronger. So there is that aspect of, yes, it will make you weaker. And yes, it will make you stronger. There's always a balance. Um, I feel like a lot of it's the same with like David Goggins and Kobe Bryant and stuff like that. They were made weak physically. And sometimes you couldn't push past that, but when, well, actually they did, they always did push past that. Um, but they were weak for a long amount of time. David Goggins was like debilitated for a long time. 
Um, but because of that, uh, what happened to him and what happened to them, they were able to push through that and their mental, like, like you were saying, John, their mental fortitude was insane because they'd already been through something extremely physical, which is a lot of times harder than something that is mental. Yeah, the book talks about the concept of anti-fragility, where we as humans actually need stressors and we actually need, with Anders' example, like our muscles need to be ripped in order to become stronger. We need to have trials and errors and, and um, tribulations in order to become a better person and to grow, like how... Um, when we're young, we start with um, young grades of math and we, we work at it and use, we have to do a lot of homework in order to expand our mind and understand more complicated math problems. I still disagree. Oh, why? Well, for starters, uh, a lot of the reasons why people commit suicide is because of hard times. And sometimes people, Sometimes when people go through hard times, they interpret it in such a way that they can't grow from that. That's, what about like a hard time that it, I feel like it's more for a hard time that's in your control. So like what doesn't really make you stronger is kind of something that's in your control. But when it's something that's like not in your control, it could make you weaker. But I feel like that's a totally different aspect. So I think that like Tommy, you're kind of getting into like a different thing personally different thing we can't understand we can't control our environment or what happens to us right but we can control ourselves how we react to it how we think about it um and those instances where people let it get to them and they eventually commit suicide because of these things that have happened to them they um it talks about it in the book they have different unhealthy mental um, practices that they do every day. I think they call it a psychological, not structure, um, construct. Yeah. And they talked about CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. and how it can help us really see the concept of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And they can grow from experiences instead of instead of it instead of experiences pushing them into the mud. I think that also it's like it depends on the person because Tommy's talking about people who don't allow growth from it. They see themselves as like victims instead of like oh this is something that just hap like this is going to happen and I need to grow from it. And so they're not seeing it as a way to grow. They're just seeing it as a way that they got like pushed down or like their growth was. Well, are you talking about like personal trials, like little things, like oh, or not little things, but just like what are you talking about, like defined trials? Because with wild swans, like what we're reading about, what they were going through there, and all of like the terrible things that was happening in China, and the people there would like commit suicide because they got too much. Would you consider that like a trial, or no? Well, yeah, that, was, that was definitely a trial. So, like, we, we can't specifically define a trial because people are reactive to different situations in different ways, and they, like, 
have different scales for what trial is in their own personal life. Because I can understand why you would be totally messed up. Like after what oh, yeah. you go through in China, was Eliza, was it you who was talking about like your mental state or something? Like, yeah. How? But there's definitely things that affect your mental state. Because in China, they had a whole just environment that they grew up in mm-hmm. that taught them to behave this way and to accept these things and they didn't fully grasp the idea that it's not really how it's supposed to be in your life um and yeah that's what makes it a lot harder to recognize when things can get better and to recognize that um we can change our mindset because they didn't see the different things that life has to offer. They just had mm. the well, it's so hard too because they were like cut off from mm-hmm. the things to see, like they burned the books and cut off like the news. So like they didn't get to know about anything. So I guess they were basically like brainwashed. <laughs> I think I think the way I see it is the trial and the hard times aren't over from it until you heal. Uh, go back to analogy for well, like what Andrew said with the muscle growth. Uh, your muscles aren't bigger; they're not stronger until even until they've healed and they're not sore anymore. Mm. So, people who who committed suicide, the the hard trials did kill them. It, maybe it wasn't the initial impact, but it was a poison that leaked into the rest of their life that didn't that they couldn't recover from right and and with the muscle thing you also need the right conditions for the whole muscle to get bigger you need a lot of protein um and it's kind of like that with i think with like the suicide cases i think if you don't have that protein or that positivity you're not really going to get through that as well your muscles aren't going to regrow and eventually they will just um atrophy that kind of leads me into think, uh, thinking about the next one, which is always trust your feelings. Do you feel like possibly these people who are going through such awful trials in their lives that they feel they have to end it all? Do you feel that they're looking at things rationally um, or is it, are they trusting their feelings? And is that a good thing? Is that a good thing overall? I feel like Victor Frankl put it in a really good way. Um, basically he, he saw the meaning behind his suffering and he decided to grow from it. Um, and I think some people can get caught up in the first initial feeling of what situations give them. Keep silence and I just want to say, I think it would be more right to say that what doesn't kill you can make you strong, you know? But like you have to have the right mindset, protein, in order to be able to grow from it. So it can make you stronger and it can make you weaker. Oh, I love that. I love that. So you have to, that mindset is a really important thing then. Okay. Um, were you gonna say something? Yeah, I was. Um, I was gonna say back to the last thing. Tommy, maybe think about not why, well, I don't know if you're thinking about this, but like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? What doesn't kill you makes you weaker, but also think about, are you thinking about stronger means happier? Because there is kind of like, you have to think about it, even though you're stronger, sometimes it's not happier. And so that kind of goes into always trust your feelings. Like you shouldn't always trust your feelings, even though, so like basically that's what I'm saying is, even though it is a good thing that happened, like it made you stronger, it was a good thing. It doesn't mean 
that you're going to be happy about it. Maybe it'll take you like years and years to be happy about it. Maybe you'll never be happy about it. But you had that experience. You learned from that experience and you're stronger because of it. I was thinking about it as what doesn't kill you makes you better. Define better. Just improved in quality. Maybe. I would say someone that has survived something and pushed past it is better. But after they've pushed past it. Like, you have to have the right mindset to be able to get through the... I don't know. I do, you're talking about while they're, like, in the trial. I think that once they're out of it is when you can see the improvement and when the improvement's fully completed. Because while you're in it, it doesn't look good. And it, you, you can't see the improvements from it. But once you're out of the trial, you can see how you've grown because of it. Especially if other people around you go through the same trial, you can be like, oh, I like I can help you out through that because I grew from that. And sometimes you don't want to actually accept the improvement. Like think about if you hadn't been, this is just an example, like if your whole life you hadn't been a Christian and you were doing like all these crazy things, right? And then finally you decide that you're going to come to Christ. But in order to come to Christ, you have to get rid of those old ways. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to do that. But you know that it will make you stronger. So you're not going to be happy for a while, but this you know that it's the right thing to do. I think I'd agree with the uh, the term more of what doesn't kill you, you adapt to. Not necessarily better. It doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you worse, but you adapt to it because you either adapt to it or you die. Would you not say that the more you learn and the more you grow as a person, the more experience you have, it makes you a more well-rounded human being and that someone who um, has experienced a lot and has um, grown as a person a lot is better for having those experiences and learning from it than from not learning at all. I'm guessing that you'd call uh, people who've gone to war and have gotten PTSD and their lives are very bad because when they hear loud noises, they feel uncomfortable that they're well-rounded. Though that goes into the more of a territory where that's more like a physical reaction and that's trauma, like that's actual trauma. But in the book, they talked about how people are expanding trauma to anything in their life that slightly inconveniences them and things that they can move past if they just really work on building that mental strength and pushing past it. But something like that is serious. Uh, it's, it's serious it's trauma. Physical trauma. Serious physical yeah. trauma. Yeah, it's exactly. physical, not... Well, I mean, it is mental. Like, they kind of overlap with it, but it's more of a physical thing. Like, I, I wouldn't say a girl that was SA'd is better for having, have, having had that happen to her. But her being able to push past it is incredible and something that we as humans are capable of. And it's so awesome when women are able to... Mm -hmm. What is S-A-D? Sexual abuse. Okay, sorry. 
Yeah, we are we are dealing with some really deep subjects here. We're talking about suicide. We're talking about sexually assault, you know, sexual assaults, things like that. You guys are going to be adults very soon. And these are all things that come up in the book. In the book. Are there any examples of people who have overcome these things, who have been able to use the concepts that they bring out and, um, you know, that what doesn't kill you makes you weaker, how that is untrue? The author. The author. Okay. What did the author say? What was the author's experience? I think it was Greg Lukanoff that had the, the issue. She talks a lot about cognitive behavioral therapy and how much that saved him from uh, serious depression. Yeah, wasn't he the one who had suicidal thoughts? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 He, he's the one who sent that letter or wrote that. It was like a journal entry or a letter. I can't remember what it was. There was someone that emailed him. They It wasn't the author specifically, but there was someone else in the book that they talked about. And he had serious depression and he had suicidal thoughts. Like that whole day he had been looking up ways to kill himself. And, um, but he was, he called the, ended up calling the police because he, some part of, some part of his conscious mind was like, this is not good. I need, I need to save myself. Um, and, uh, he was able to go to a psychiatric center and he was able to learn the methods of CBT, cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy. And he recovered and he was able to push down his depression and his life is way better. He still has that depression, but it is way less significant in his life. And he's just... And it doesn't have control over him. Like he still has those thoughts and stuff. Well, I don't know if they're as severe, but he still has thoughts, but he's not letting them take control of his life and he's still... So is that like what you define as leaving it like stronger? Like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I just have a hard time like wrapping my head around it because I'm thinking of people that I know who have gone through things and I'm like, okay, well, how how have they come out of it like stronger? Like my aunt lost her little boy, like, and that's like a terrible thing. So how would she come out of that stronger? You know what I mean? I I remember you telling me. Yeah, and I remember you telling me about her and how her faith has grown a lot and mm-hmm. having herself as a person she's been able to see like god in her life more so is that what you mean like by stronger it's not like oh they're healed but like because of course she still misses herman but she, her faith has grown that's true so would that be stronger i just see i see it all as like this mental battle and like when he says so it was it was greg lukianoff lukianoff I don't know how you say his last yeah. name, but it was his account of depression. And after it, it says the author of this account is Greg. He believes that CBT saved his life. In a matter of just a few months, he began to learn how to catch his own distortions. So I see this as like every trial you encounter in life, you have this opportunity to sink or swim. And that battle is going on in your head. Like, is it worth it to keep going? When you come out on top, you're, you're battling and catching your distortions silencing them really so i really like how you guys have yeah you really have uh, dived deep into this and you've talked about things and about people in your lives that have actually 
had to deal with these things. Why do you think the authors have put out these three untruths, what they call these untruths? What did, I know it was Greg uh, Lukanoff that um, actually used the CBT and that was something he saw because of his experience with the cognitive behavioral theory. He saw things happening in the schools. Do you guys remember what that was? The riots? Well, the riots, yeah. What was happening with the riots and things like that in the colleges? Well, so much. So oh, yeah, much. yeah, so much. Well, yeah, people like students were seeing other students as fragile. Is that what you're? Yeah. So what what kind of things were um, were they doing that? Yeah, well, students were, were seeing themselves as fragile. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was also saying like not specifically themselves. They were doing it for classmates a lot of the time. Is what it was saying, and um, how I think that they saw themselves as a whole as fragile and like different people specifically. Yeah. Like for example say one of the speakers coming to a college campus was very conservative and would speak out against um, trans people. Um, and maybe not even the actual trans people would react at all, but people would react for them and say, "We this is offensive, we can't allow the speaker to come. They would like barricade the room that the speaker was supposed to speak in. They would like, chant in order for the speaker not to be heard they would um even resort to violence uh, to prevent this from happening and, and the people would, themselves that were that would have been addressed didn't really participate in that yeah i just think you have to think about it like kind of like you can't avoid your debater in a way because if you if you try and avoid them then what um then what value do your points have? Because if there's no like rebuttal against your point, then if someone comes up to you, tries to debate your point, and then you're just like, oh no, you you're crazy, and then just like start screaming at them with like and just like walks away. Like there's no there's no actual knowledge, there's no actual meaning to what you're saying. So you can't like back up anything that you believe without actually hearing the other side first yeah, really like and when you just like avoid it because you are quote unquote offended it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense the thought of um our generation being fragile kind of goes into a saying i heard once i'm not sure who it was but it's um easy times create weak men weak men create easy times or sorry, weak men create hard times. Hard times we create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Oh, oh okay. you, do you think we're in the process of an easy time and a weak generation? I'm thinking maybe weak men making a stronger time currently. Yeah. Because we're kind of through the. I feel like it's I... just about the time that that cycle is going to repeat itself. Yeah, I feel like we're just about to hit the hard times. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think we are, are mm -hmm. the strong, strong people? No, no, I just think of myself as one of the strong people. Oh, oh, oh I thought you were saying like I have to follow up the millennials. Oh. <laughs> I think that uh, it's not really weak men or strong men, but people who adapt to their environment and then the environment changes 
And so the people who were in one environment and teach the younger generation how to live in that environment, that environment's gone. And so they can't really live in this new environment. And so they're not necessarily weaker, but they're in a different environment from the last one. And they're no longer adapted to that environment, which right. makes it more difficult to survive. Would you not say that people all the reason environments change? Yeah, yeah, people change. I mean, our environment is people most of the time. I mean, but I would also say that back in well not back in the day but a long time ago people had to hunt uh then there was agriculture that was the most important thing for people and now it has a lot to do with handling other people and so the thing the skills required to uh, to live in our environment is constantly changing because the environment is changing. Exactly, and that's a lot of the things that the calling of the American mind addresses because parenting is becoming so, so overprotective. Safetyism, like safety is the only thing that matters and we need to protect people from the world. And there's a quote that says, prepare your kids for the road, not the road for your kids. Because mm. there's no way you can control the road. Yeah. What do you mean by parenting has become like more about safety than make safety? What, however you pronounce that word. Safety is Safety is Well, parents, especially with certain events that have happened in the past, like, um, for example, 9 11 mm -hmm. and certain blown up kidnappings that made parents super paranoid. So they, parents, have become more protective of their kids. Where back in like the 80s, early 90s, kids were able to go out in their neighborhood and be unsupervised by their parents and go like try new things. Well, the world has changed so much too. Yeah, it was, it was talking about how our world currently is safer than the one exactly. that they grew up in. But the parenting has just changed, so now kids aren't able to do so freely. Instead, they have like a parent constantly watching them, which is really affecting kids and their abilities to like develop. It's almost like parents decided to parent um, their children in a way that would protect them from the conditions back in like 1980, where things were a little more unsafe. And but now we're probably the safest we've ever been. Well, it said in the book that it's it's about as safe as it was in the seventies. But the problem, mm -hmm. yeah, the problem is that it's not even just the parents. It's not their pro It's not their fault. It's be oh, it yeah. said in the book that society has put forth this um, like it's not an ad campaign, but there's this. <laughs> if you see something bad, it probably is bad. Or you know, if there's a if you feel like Perhaps something is off, thing. something okay. is off, and it's not always like. And they said in the book, if you like see an abandoned backpack on a railway, report it, but you don't need to like freak out about it. Like that is something that you need to think about, but there's no, but like if there's just a dude in a hoodie wearing a backpack who looks a little sketchy, um, a lot of people would say, oh, you need to report that, but really. Yeah, that's kind of like the um, third entry, how 
people look at danger, like a parent looking at risk, right? And seeing as anything with even a little bit of risk is 100% dangerous, right? So like an us versus them. Yeah, but it's kind of like the foot of untrue. How they're looking at it, you know? You're either 100% one thing or 100% yeah. the other. Isn't it dichotomous thinking? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so life is a battle between good people and evil people. So you guys are becoming adults and going into the world where there's that us versus them. Now, Elena, you talked about you needed to have a debate in order to learn and to make everything you say worthwhile. So how do you guys, you guys are going to be having to change all of this. So what do you see that you can do to change this us versus them? We're interrupting this broadcast to invite you to ask questions or share your epiphanies in the comments section. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a good review on the platform you are using, because that really helps others find our content. Also, check out our website at lemmymentortraining.com. I think the biggest thing is, as, as simple as it may seem, is listening. Um, a lot of, I will, I'm personally, I'll take every opportunity to listen, uh, especially if I do not agree with their worldviews or what they have to say, because the more, if you oppose it, then you can say, okay, well, that's why you think that this is why I think that it brings it back to, I think it's the third or it's one of the earlier habits of a highly effective person, but it's seek to understand before being understood. And so the only way we can break down a preconception of uh, us versus them is to not come out swinging in a, with aggression and to just try and listen, try and find out why they think that way instead of trying to push your beliefs onto them and they try to push your beliefs onto them, to you, and then it just creates a clashing. Well, and to go off of that, if you are listening, then you can see some things that you believe in in their worldview. So stuff like it's not a hundred percent either way. Like oh, my worldview is a hundred percent correct. There's a hundred percent incorrect. You're gonna find things that you believe in all over. So you just have to listen to it, and that could also put down the walls between people and groups. And like it's like the uh, they talk about it in the book. It's common humanity versus. Uh, enemy of humanity, where it's Martin Luther King, Muhammad Gandhi, um, a bunch of other good speakers have appealed to common humanity and have um, made change in society because they related to other people. Like Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, he was like, where all all of uh, mankind from like the Red Hills of Georgia to the to the sea or something um, can come together in brotherhood and and be human together. Whereas the other um, enemy of humanity, something like that, can't remember exactly, um, is where I my group is better than your group. Your group is bad because you're not my group. And there's no desire to understand each other. It is simply that other group needs to be eliminated. And I think as we go into the world, we can really try to um, 
put into effect the common humanity uh, concept because really we're all just human and it's it goes back to that again and again where I can't be 100% right. We can only be what we believe and what we believe can't be 100% right because, well, <laughs> it's not a fact or it's not, we're flawed. We are flawed beings and um, we just all need to recognize that and not try to one up each other all the time. I feel like just also just trying to be kind like instead of if someone says something that you don't agree with, instead of being like, "Well, you're wrong," da da da, there's just like nicer ways to do things, or just holding open the door for someone, or letting like just the simple things that will just affect you, like letting someone go before you, letting someone into your lane, because I feel like those even make an impact on you. And once someone does good, it's kind of like the ripple effect, like, "Oh, well, that person let me into their lane, so I'm gonna let this person in." And so it's just like, once you do something good, at least for me, then I want to do something good. Well, there was, I forgot what it was, but a while ago, there was this like sort of trend where people would pay for the car behind them at drive throughs and it would end up having like so many people. So if someone would pay for my car, I would pay for the next car. And like, it would just go on and on because if, like someone does something nice to you, like you feel yeah. good. I think the same thing can be said about violence. And similarly to doing kind things for others, uh, we should make sure not to uh, have, I don't know if this is the right phrase, but we shouldn't have a chip on our shoulder when uh, someone makes a mistake that affects us negatively when someone does something that hurts us not not to take negative actions because mm -hmm. of it giving the benefit of the doubt they also talk about in zebra yeah. where people will will assume 100 percent wrong intended for and maximum hurt intended for whatever actions or words people will say or do. And that just creates a lot of friction and a lot of unkindness and a lot of anger. And like you were saying, we just need to give the benefit of the doubt and assume the best of people. Right. an example in the book about this. Um, I think it was a dean of some school sent an, e an email to uh, a girl who thought she was, um, that the school was like racist, right? Mm -hmm. And the dean ended up, I think, maybe getting fired, if I remember the story correctly, because the situation yeah. escalated and the girl took that email as 100% bad, even though the dean was really home, like offering apologies and all this. But they didn't fire her, she quit. Or she quit, yeah. yeah. Because of all the. Yeah, because of She was getting a lot of hate quit. from. Like social media and the basically the girl, the the dean emailed the girl was like, "I'm sorry that this has been your experience. Um, we will try to like help the people that don't fit the mold at our school." And that girl, and she instead of assuming best mold. intentions, she was like, "Oh, by mold you mean you mean we don't fit in here." Mm -hmm. 
and she decided to post the whole email on social media and everyone everything blew up the dean got tons of messages about it um, violent messages um yeah people at the school too yeah and so and didn't some kids stop going to her class or something mm -hmm. like they were protesting them out yeah I think yeah. some kids went on like a hunger thing too, where they were like, oh, yeah, they were like, she got fired. Yeah. Yeah. So she quit. It was crazy. And if she, if the girl had simply done, like, assumed the best in the, in the dean, she could have, the dean even invited the girl to come talk to her about it. Mm -hmm. And the girl just decided to, to disregard that part of the message and focus on the bad or the understood to be bad. Uh, part and just promote it everywhere and make it a big deal, uh, a hateful situation. Yeah, and that's basically the perfect example of the third untruth is that she was looking at things with the hundred percent good or bad mindset. That's then things escalated. So it is kind of dangerous to have that mindset. And also, just like trust your feelings. What she felt was. Was uh, she was slighted? She was uh, this dean was not being considerate of her race and and the things she wanted to say, even though she was, um, and just decided to go with the first action. I mean, with what you said about when someone makes a mistake, like not to have a chip on your shoulder, whatever that was. Yeah, and kind of with this, like you know, the way they took it as racist or whatever. Um, there's something, it goes, uh, when someone makes a mistake, the first one to apologize is the strongest, first one to forgive is the kindest or something, but the first one to forget is the happiest. That's yeah, that's cool. oh, thanks for sharing that. Well, that's awesome. Well, I have a question for you. Um, now, all of you are homeschooled, and so some people might say that you guys are coddled. You know, we you're being protected. We're we're you know putting you, keeping you at home so that you don't get scared by the great big world outside and all of that. So, <laughs> so what what do you guys think about that? I think well, read the books I, we're reading. <laughs> I I would have to say, um, at least with me. I wanted to go to school I totally couldn't but why would I do that I mean this is way better and I take so much more out of this so I think you kind of have to put it in context at least with specific people but I like being homeschooled and I don't really I don't know I I like it I think it's fun I think it's interesting and also I kind of think about um I was thinking about oh yeah how they kind of say you don't really get out but I feel like you definitely learn a lot and you also like I know they see that that you don't like meet anyone or see anyone but I feel like actually parents who have homeschooled children actually make more of an effort to have to like get them friends kind of in a way well, and get them an environment. Arguably we get out more because public schoolers are stuck in school all day and we go like places. Right well that. the thing is what a lot of people do they do the the last of the three greater truths they 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 hear homeschool and they think, oh, you're 
You're at home all day with your mom seeing A is for Apple, B is for <laughs> Right. But when in reality, there's a lot of different shades of homeschooling. Um, like, yeah, you might start off with that A is for Apple when you're a little kid. But at this this point where we're, we say we're homeschooled, a lot of people still think that. And it's really not that. Like, we're taking an extremely hard class with an best one. How many books did we read? Uh, 21. 21 books in a semester. No. Yeah. Wow. Can go no, in a year. Oh, yeah. Quest one and two. Oh, well, I said quest one. Why'd Sorry, you... 11. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, 11, 11 points in a semester. That's still like That's a lot. six more than right. what they yeah. do a whole year. Right. I feel like home, I mean, public schoolers assume until, like, you say you're homeschooled and then they assume stuff and they ask questions and they're like, oh, gosh, do you have no friends? And then they assume that until you tell them and until you talk to them well, actually, about what you actually do. I feel like it goes both ways. I feel like they assume stuff about us and they we assume, assume stuff oh, about yeah. them. Totally. And so it's like, I just find it funny that I'm like, oh my gosh, public schoolers, they're so different. <laughs> and then we're over there, over there like, oh, those homeschoolers in their pajamas at home with their mom. And so it's like, we're That's both persistent. assuming things that aren't necessarily true. No, I think the difference is that we're learning about that and seeing it like being like, oh, that's completely wrong what we're doing. Whereas they don't as much, maybe? Are you breaking the third rule? Us versus them is not Oh no, I'm not saying us versus them. She's trying to She's just saying they don't know as much as we do. No Exactly. <laughs> okay. Here here's the thing though. Here's here's my one parole with a majority of those statements is uh, in in that question, in that statement, nowhere did it say we weren't taking hard classes. Nowhere did it say we're not learning a lot of stuff. It's more about the harsh, other harsh stuff that we are, believe not, being protected from. Um, there's substance abuse in a majority of public schools. There is a middle school right next to my house you can find needles on the ground in the playground where there's a playground like there you can find rubber bands which are often used as method delivery or a form of method delivery or an assistance or like we have found needles vape cartridges there's tons of stuff that we are being protected from and we're not being exposed to um now large ideal is we're learning stuff that night might not be the focus of their school, but we are definitely being protected or sheltered at least to an extent from certain things. I have a question for you, John. Would you rather have your kid be exposed to things while you are around or while a teacher that you barely know is around? While I'm around. But my, <laughs> obviously, but that's why we are, we are being sheltered. Like, uh, not necessarily completely sheltered. We don't know. Sheltered is the right word. We're being, what was, what was the word used coddled. in your statement? But I don't think coddled is the right word. Because we're not coddled. We, we know, know that exists. Protected. Yes. And yes, we are in an institution where those things aren't as prevalent. Almost not at all. And. Almost not at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. And that is a huge advantage to homeschoolers and we we don't have to go through what certain public schooler teenagers public school teenagers have to go through because we've learned about it beforehand and we have 
we know that it's not a good thing to do. And we know that participate or like vaping or becoming super uh, foul mouths or something like that isn't going to help us later in life. It's going to hinder us. And yes, we've been given the space to learn that and to be protected from that. So I agree, we have been given some protection. I, I'm think, I kind of think it's about like mental exposure versus physical exposure. I agree. And it's also, I feel like mental exposure, exposure like from your parents, like instead of being like, oh, don't, don't do drugs, and, but showing them what doing drugs does to you I feel like that can affect you more than just like being at school and some kid being like, hey, you want to try this? Well, in public, like when you go to public school, like I was public school and I know, I knew what a vape was and I never like been offered one. I feel like it's different because I knew what one was, but in public school, they're offered, like kids have them. And so they get kind of offered and it's like the peer pressure, like, oh, well, everyone else around me is doing it. So I feel like you need to also surround yourself with good people you can go to public school and still have like an experience like this but it you just have to surround yourself with the right people madison yeah. you we should surround ourselves with the right people instead of the wrong people the <laughs> bad people so tommy it's like show me your friend no like nice bro you know what, you I mean? see what i'm saying no People who uphold the same values as yes. her and respect her values. Yes. So, so they're not going to peer pressure her into doing drugs because that's not something that she does. So Thank at you. the same time, the people, the kids at the colleges who don't want to listen to what uh, people are saying, that what the teachers are saying, they're also protecting uh -huh. themselves. But again, there's a difference from harmful. Again, there's a difference because this is be so when you're trying to get, they're not the people in lectures aren't they're not trying, they're not, they're not like giving you things. They're not like oh yeah, have, take this, take this vape. Like that's not what they're doing. Like the, in school, I would say that the people who are giving out vapes and influencing people to have addictions don't mean any harm. Well, they may not mean any harm but they do harm you. And while you don't have to give any consequences to those who are trying to give you a vape, you can also avoid the people that are trying to give you a vape because that is within yeah. your power to do. I'm not saying people who like give you vape are bad people. Like I'm sure, like there are people that I know who have vaped and they're really good people. Like they, I feel like, it's like, I'm not segregating people like, oh, these people who don't vape are good people. And these people who do vape are bad people and we should not surround ourselves with them. That's not what I mean. That's like the third, the second rule or the third rule where the it's the third 100%, 100%. Yeah. You can't look at it that way. Okay, so how have the Lemmy projects help you see that there isn't just black and white, that there isn't just 100% good and 100% bad? You have to take everything in context. And there's okay. different there's different situations to so different like there's different circumstances and there's different situa situations and there's different there's different ways that you can react to things. Like saying I killed someone is not it's obviously gonna get a negative reaction. But if you say I killed someone because they were about to kill my child is a different situation, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to take it into context and 
understand the reasons behind things. We talked about it in the book, intent is everything. I think um, we're kind of looking at this as if school is the only thing that you're getting this experience from. Like for me, I'm in Boy Scouts. There's many different organizations. Like if homeschoolers do other things besides school. Mm -hmm. Public schoolers do other things besides school. There are other places you learn stuff. If it's true that uh, we have to think about the context of things and not just think of things as black and white, then couldn't the three untruths and the three truths be also black and white? Some things, some things don't kill you and they don't make you stronger. But then there's some things that uh, don't kill you and make you stronger. Well, that's why that's why these are the th the three great untruths, and they are because they are absolutes. They both absolutes. They, well, yeah. What well, doesn't kill you? It's a paradox. No, because okay. So if these are the great hundred percent bads, and the other ideas are good, then the third one contradicts, and it's actually true. Yeah. But if it's true, then it's bad. But if it's bad, then it's Okay. No, I get it. Look at it. Look at it like a linear succession, right? So you start right here with the idea. 100% bad, 100% good, right? That is a 100% bad idea. Therefore, but in this statement, it states that things are 100% bad and 100% good. But uh, to not believe in that statement, you have to see the gray and all. Nope, things. nope, John, hey, you no. are wrong. You know why? Because <laughs> there is an absolute bad and there is an absolute good, but not everything is either good or bad. There is in between. Well, I got that would check the world. Is good or bad people? Is there is an yeah. Wait, can you read the third untruth? The third untruth is that life is a battle between good people and evil people. Yeah, yeah. good people and evil um, people, not good and uh, bad. So they're totally. So it's like a I have I have a question for you guys. Reading this book and thinking about your future, has this changed the way, or or has it affected the way you want to parent your kids? or how you want to um, show up at college. It's actually funny because the whole time I was reading it, I was like, I'm gonna let my kids like, just live their life, man. Like, yeah, I uh, just hovering over their shoulder every step of the way. But of course yeah. I'm not gonna be like, oh, there's a bunch of, there's like, go into the forest alone and <laughs> go ahead and do what you want. Let's but, just say it's definitely helped me firm, like kind of, set a foundation at least or it's at least like now what like what i've been thinking about like how i'm gonna raise my kids like this book has kind of told me that it's okay too mm -hmm. and so that's like kind of i kind of like mm -hmm. that he's like i i want to be able to expose my like i was saying earlier like expose my kids to things without without them having to like having i want to make the decision yeah having to kind kind of it kind of like that I want to be able, I want them to be able to know about everything before they go into war. And I'm not mm -hmm. going to put it in like a negative, I'm not going to be like, oh, drugs are terrible. You can't do that. I'm just going to be like, if you, if you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. So that's fine. That's cool. Yeah. Anybody else? 
future oh, parenting. I want to raise my kids like my mom raised me. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> my mom's not a hovering parent who's like, oh my gosh, no masks and don't do that. She's like, she. It's hard to explain because I still have like my own mind and I can still make my own choices. Like, um, I got my second piercings and that was my choice. My mom isn't gonna get hers, but she was like, it's up to you. If you want to get them, go and get them. I'm not gonna stop you. She was like, if you feel good about it, you do it. And I like just dropped a class and she was like, if you feel good about it, you do it. And so it's not like, no, you have to stay in this class. It's like, if you feel good about it, go for it. That's so cool. I, like I like that. Right. Yeah, I'm definitely taking my kids to like San Diego a lot, downtown San Diego a lot when they're growing up. I I experienced that a lot growing up because my dad does tons of jobs building buildings over there. And mm -hmm. oh boy, if you don't, if you want your kids not to want to do drugs, take them take them somewhere where there's a lot of homeless people and a lot of drugs because you it. You got to teach them that, oh, this is what it's going to end up like. I heard there's there's a city where drugs are legal. Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. Yeah, Portland, Oregon. See over there. Yeah, if you want to throw them into the deep end, go there. <laughs> Although, maybe don't go there. No, yeah, you, you might also get thrown into the deep end because you most likely get shanked. Didn't you, during the, the simulation where you had kids, I don't know who it was, but like they assigned you children. Uh, and you were like, yeah, I'm going to give my kids drugs or, or introduce no, them. Uh, I think that was the idea, the idea. kids to experience was, everything before they even went to college. Yeah, well, you see, it was a joke. And <laughs> secondarily, it was, I was manipulating my child's reality <laughs> by paying people to influence him to go do hard drugs. So that he may uh, realize how bad it is, so that he can come back to me and I can help him so, so get out of addiction. So like a forced prodigal son. Yeah, so it's like he becomes immune, you know. Book um. where they're like, yeah, I had my coworker go kidnap my son and lock him in a basement. Oh yeah, gag him and stuff. And I was like, why did you? Do that. It's, it, it, it was, it was to keep him cautious of people luring him. There's such a fearful mindset. I know. I know. There's videos on YouTube yeah. of people actually doing that. It's very funny I, to watch. Oh, <laughs> Inform the kids that you should not do that. But you also, know, there, there is. There's um, way to teach them. Yeah, mm -hmm. but but sometimes not to that extent. But there was this one where my mom used to show me these videos actually when I was younger about how this guy there there's this guy he he asked the parents first so he goes hey can I can I ask your kid if like just come up to them and ask if they want to come into my car and so so they can see what happened yeah, uh -huh. yeah and my mom used to show yeah uh-huh and so like they they try and lure the kid like oh I have some candy like stuff like, like stuff like that like oh want to come into my car or come into one of them was like an ice cream truck mm -hmm. and they do it so that's well so my parents when we were younger like eight they would tell us like they would sit us all down and talk to us kind of okay like this and this and this and so then we would like role play it like oh i'm going to try and get you to come in and what are you going to do madison no mom i'm not going to get in the car and like, stuff like that. <laughs> so i feel like it also depends on your age when you teach them 
like I don't feel like you should throw everything at them when they're younger. Well, I, feel like, I feel like, like vaping well, when they're older like, enough to understand. Um, you should build on it because I wouldn't only say that when they turn eight. Like I would start younger, but with less, like less force. Like, you know, because, like like Eliza was saying with math, you have to build on it. I feel mm-hmm. like that's similar for like hard topics. Like you have to start small. And, like like kids know, oh, like you can't do specific things yeah i liked what the author said because he said instead of teaching your kid they can't go into a bathroom a public bathroom alone teach them what behaviors to look out for to know to get out of it does Mm -hmm. that make sense yeah you guys we're almost out of time yeah will did you want to say something yeah just on raising kids um yeah i think i'd raise my kids to know the importance of responsibility oh that's a good one like the way my parents raised me we both you know you have a lot of responsibilities. Like as sons and daughters, we have responsibilities. As brothers and sisters, we have responsibilities. Uh, we will have responsibilities as fathers and mothers. So like, no, show them the responsibilities of making a choice. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you gotta let your kids touch the stove. <laughs> yeah, right. Actually, they'll never truly understand how hot the fire is until it burns them. Well, guys, I do want you guys to just have a chance to let um, all of our audience know, you know, um, how has Quest changed you? I think for me, I think a lot more about stuff. Like um, in the past, I I usually just had what I knew and like that was that. Um, And now I question stuff a lot more. And for me, I think it's a good thing because I... In questioning stuff, I have found that, and and I don't, or I found that a lot of things that I believed before, they still are true, but I I was able to question them, and I'm not following blindly now. I love Um, that. Yeah, it's made everything a lot more complicated. (laughs) I I don't enjoy it. I used to be able to have like white noise running back my head, but now I'm thinking like, what is morality? Completely agree. Think about the youth of Oh, yeah. No, I definitely think it's useful though because uh, I had a I had a big problem with not really thinking through things a lot, um, and not using my brain a lot. So I still have that problem most of the time, but it has eased it a little bit so that I it like making decisions because before I used to go just purely based off emotion oh that class seems hot I want to do it uh. was that your feelings towards quest no I, it was the opposite my mom's like this is a really hard class you have to like you'll have to put a lot towards it and then I said oh, okay I'll do it then because it's hard um regret that decision <laughs> you regret taking no I don't it's it's been life-changing but I definitely think everything's a lot more complicated. Yeah, I think I think about things more like Andrew said. Yeah. For me, it's for me, it would be two things that Quest taught me. And kind of how John said it, uh, first he just went into things without thinking. Now he knows he had a problem. So Quest has taught him how to recognize how he had a problem. So it, it teaches you how to recognize things. And secondly, in this debate, you know, we brought up um, wild swans, we brought up seven habits. So it gives you a lot more things to reference and bring into your making connections. Yeah, making what actually doing what we were taught. Yeah. yeah.
I, I like this quote from the file that I'm being read from mine. Oh. It's education should not be intended to make people comfortable. It is meant to make them think. Oh, I know. I, I love, love that, that quote. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that quote. That one. And I think that quest has really done that for me. I I have it has made me think a lot more, like John and Andrews were saying. And it's made me consider a lot more things. And especially especially the third rule, like um, the third untruth that flies in the battle between good people and evil people. I see the middle ground a lot more because I, I have learned a lot more about different worldviews and beliefs and how it's so hard to know what's true. And um, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Well, I forgot. We, we want another good quote, Will. Come on. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Will. Okay. If you don't find any meaning in suffering, you will suffer. It's <laughs> like a wealth of quotes. That is awesome. Anybody else have a final thought? No, we're good. Okay. No, wait. <laughs> it, it doesn't compare to Will's quote, not by a long shot. But this quest, this quack quack, this quest class has made me think a lot more about the Mr. G Wash quote, George Washington. He lets me call him that. A man, a man who stands for nothing falls for everything. You okay thanks guys thanks for listening to this episode just as in every lemmy training we hope you walk away uplifted and inspired but also empowered to be a better mentor for your family and your community please be sure to subscribe and share. We also want to express our gratitude to all the Lemmy mentors, past and present. You got this. You can do hard things.